an honored veteran, mind control, political assassinations, all this can only mean one thing. We're comparing Manchurian Candidate on this episode of Retro vs. Remake. I'm Reggie Parker. I'm Dan Bulick, and welcome to another episode of Retro vs. Remake, the podcast where we discuss films and their remakes. Today's episode is Manchurian Candidate, so let's jump right in. The original Manchurian Candidate, made in 1962, starring Frank Sinatra, Lawrence Harvey, Angela Lansbury, Janet Leigh, and Leslie Parrish, directed by John Frankenheimer. It should also be noted that he's going to do another movie we're probably going to do, and that's The Island of Dr. Moreau. He actually directed the remake, and in this case, he directed the original. So that's a little interesting thing there. Screenplay by George Axelrod. Music by David Amram. Intriguing Candidate, 2004. Starring Denzel Washington, Liev Schreiber, Meryl Streep, Kimberly Elise, and Vera Farmiga. Directed by John Demme. He's known for directing a few films, uh, among them Philadelphia and Silence of the Lambs. Screenplay by Daniel Pine and Dean Georgeris. Music by Rachel Portman. Both movies are based on the book by Richard Condon. The original is more true to the source material. Okay. So, Reggie, what are your experiences with either film? Zero experience with either film. This is my first time watching either movie. I'm realizing that there's a lot of sort of like pop culture references to um, at least the original Manchurian Candidate. My uh, my fiance pointed out that Zoolander, um, she thought that the remake that we were watching would have been Zoolander because there's a Manchurian Candidate element to that film as well. Yeah, I could definitely see that. <laughs> Which is the funniest thing that's happened since I got involved with either of these movies. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like you. I have zero experience with either film, but just like you, it's sort of embedded in the pop lexicon. So I knew what was going to happen going into it. And you know that there's the brainwashing element, but I guess just how it's going to play out exactly, I didn't know the details. Yeah, I would say the same, that I didn't really know the full mechanics of, uh, of either film, but I knew to be on the lookout for some sort of tomfoolery, as it were. We'll do the comparisons, but first, let's just do the brief synopsis. America is at war. We follow a platoon led by Major Bennett Marco and Sergeant Raymond Shaw. Their unit is ambushed one night, and we are unsure what happens. We're eventually told that Sergeant Raymond Shaw single-handedly saved the platoon with the exception of two troops who died. Raymond Shaw is given the Medal of Honor for being a war hero. Or was he? We find out that other members of the troop dream about an alternate reality where Shaw and fellow troops were being brainwashed, and some even killed. The brainwashing is supposed to make the subject a killer with no memory of what they did. Major Bennett Marco has dreams about this too. Marco tries to tell military intelligence about Shaw, but no one believes him. While Marco tries to get the proof he needs, he meets a love interest, Rosie, while Shaw reconnects with the former love, Josie. We eventually learn that Shaw's mother, Eleanor, was the one behind the mind control. She uses it to take out political rival, Thomas Jordan. When murdering Jordan, Shaw also kills his daughter, who happens to be Josie, the woman he loves. Not recalling exactly what happened, but sure that he killed Josie, Shaw goes to Raymond for help. Meanwhile, Shaw's mother, Eleanor, has her sights set on the presidency. She needs one more assassination to get it. While everything seems to be going her way, her plan falls apart as Shaw won't do what she wants. Her assassin ends up shooting her, and Shaw dies as well. With Eleanor and Shaw dead, the Manchurian candidate is no more. Okay, so that's a very broad synopsis of what happens. We can get into the details when we do the comparisons. 
where did you want to start? I guess before we get into really the comparisons about actors, I think that we should probably start with the different timelines that we're working with, because the story of the Manchurian Candidate in both of these films, there's, of course, the similarities as you read in the synopsis, but I think it'd be good to note that we're talking about two different time periods for the films. One being in the 1962 film, they're in the Korean War. I guess the first Korean War? I guess. I don't know. It takes place... The 1962 film takes place in 1952. Whatever Korean War we're at in 1952. We're we're fighting the Koreans. (laughs) Of course, remake being in 2004. Obviously, a more modern timeline. We're in the the Gulf War at this point in Iraq during that that time of uh, American military history, as it were. Specifically around 1991. Fair enough, yeah. Basically, we're looking at 1952 versus 1991. Frame it up. The, the politics of those wars are unique. You know, they're connected in the sense that there's a foreign adversary, as it were. But uh, 1952, it was a pretty tense time for American politics. You know, you're post-World War II at this point. And there's a lot of worry and concern about foreign entities. Communism was part of the impetus for some aspects of World War II. And Americans are super not into... <laughs> Communism. We're we're not we're not fans at all. So there's there's an element of a uh, McCarthyism, and you know Gulf War time politics. You know we were having a lot of issues in the Middle East, and there's different sort of re- regime change wars that we get into overseas that you know sort of frame that timeline. The one key difference here being 1952. There's a sort of a cultural war that's happening that you're not quite getting in 1991. Obviously, you know, there's a foreign adversary and there is a war of cultures, but the way that it affects the, your average American looks a little bit different, not to get too heady into the political side of things. The original film, you got, it takes place in the middle of the Cold War, and that was at a time you'd sort of mentioned McCarthyism, which we'll, I'm sure we'll get into. The threat there was more of like, now this other political entity is going to enter American politics, right? So our democratic lifestyle, everything that we've sort of built with this country, that there's a threat of that falling apart in the original, right? As opposed to the 1991 film, where you were in the Iraq war, but there's not really a, a threat to our politics at home, per se. This war is specifically like Iraq around that area. Not really anything that happens as a result of that war has a direct effect on American politics as the, the Cold War did at the time. Yeah, and I think uh, even like sort of beyond like the politics of it, it's kind of about values in 1952. You know, there's this idea of what Americans are, what they should be. And there's this sort of specter that is anti-American by the way that uh, a lot of the politicians, a lot of people at that time see it, where, you know, yes, there's some fighting in a, a war in the Middle East. There is like an anti-American aspect to it. But I don't think that people thought that our way of life was at stake in that, that war, you know, more so we were kind of doing more of our, uh, the world policing that we see a l- little bit more of in the modern military and political space. A big theme is that in the Cold War, you really are talking about the American way of life. That's the way people see this battle. I think that pretty much covers the sort of the political uh, overtones that's just kind of in the background or in the foreground everywhere in both movies. Yeah. <laughs> Did you want to maybe kind of segue from there into who's performing these brainwashing operations? I think that's a good, a good point. In both Manchurian Candidate films, it really matters who's doing the brainwashing 
in uh, the 1952 backdrop with the, th the Red Scare, as it were, the threat of communism, things like that. People were really concerned about communist states, so Russia, your China's, places like that. And we see that our actors that are kind of doing the brainwashing in the background, there are some Americans involved. But really, you see these scenes of, uh, but there are these secret meetings with uh, Russian and Chinese actors that are happening, and they're plotting and conspiring against the United States. And uh, they're the ones that are orchestrating this elaborate um, brainwashing plot. Whereas in the the newer film, it's uh, it's kind of more it's more corporate. Uh, yeah, there are foreign actors, but it's more like the sort of global national as were um conspiracy that's more based on it seems money than just like the inherent evil of communism you know there's a difference between the red scare and then corporations taking over at any cost so that that's kind of the difference that we see in who's perpetrating the brainwashing obviously the original made in 1962 in the middle of the cold war it, it plays to a lot of the fears because we think communism or communists are in the American government at that time, right? So we're not sure who to trust. And then now here comes this movie about this American patriot who gets one of the highest honors ever, and he's been brainwashed. And now the communists have even more of a direct control to people in our government. So it's, I think it really plays on the fears well in the original. Yeah, I would say so. I think what makes the original film so fascinating is... The conspiracy is so intertwined. You know, there's this fear that these outside actors are, you know, plotting against us or, you know, trying to change our way of lives. But then the reality, at least in this film and what a lot of Americans at this time would think, the enemies amongst us. Sure. You don't know who to trust. And you see that played out very, very well here in this film because it, it does feed into that threat that it appears to be on the outside, but it's also on the inside. And who can you trust? plays on that paranoia that was going around during that uh, McCarthy era, and it plays it really well, as opposed to the 2004 film. And you think of where we were uh, as a country at that time, what our big fear was. Our biggest fear at that point was mostly terrorism, right? Post-9-11 world. Right. Uh, it was 2004, so it was pretty close uh, to when September 11th happened. But it doesn't play into that fear. They don't focus on, like, any... Uh, terrorist sect in the Middle East or anything. They focus on this corporation. While that can be a viable threat, I just think the original did a better job at playing to the fears of the people. Of the times. Yeah, of the time, exactly. Yeah, I think um, things transpired at different times. Like, although the original sort of action happens in the 90s, um, you know, this is years later that uh, we start to see the effects of the brainwashing on the character. So, you know, it does take you closer to that, like you mentioned, that um, that sort of uh, September 11th territory. And it was, um, you know, both you and I, like many Americans can remember that there was a lot of tension at that time. There's a little allusions to it in the film where they have like terror alerts on uh, TV and things like that. I think in a smart way, you know, when you really are looking at when they're making this, because if it came out in 2004, you know they were filming it at least a year or two before. I think it probably was smart for a commercial film not to try to dive or play too deep into that because that was a pretty fresh and raw wound i'm sure when they were planning on doing this remake i have a feeling that it was sort of before or around the time that those events happened and they weren't really expecting that but i'm sure they they kind of started the the wheels to actually make the movie and i think they tried to pick something that was less sort of um i guess controversial than uh true terrorists where you get a 
more of a corporation than um, foreign actors. I mean, there are foreign actors involved, but like, I, I think you're right that it doesn't really show the feeling of that time as well as the original movie. But I think I think it's a Hollywood decision to stay away from something controversial and making a movie that they probably didn't want to be overly serious into something, you know, potentially inflammatory. I could see that. And I can understand that. And especially, like you said, they probably developed the script before September 11th even happened. So they probably had to, I don't know, kind of play catch up. And it's like, so can we incorporate some of this? Should we incorporate all of it or just do something else completely different? And we don't exactly know the timeline because we start off in 1991. And we know years go by, but they don't right. exactly say when. Right. So I don't know if it is a still a pre-September 11th world that the movie takes place in. And yeah, it might have been in bad taste if they did focus on terrorism since it was so close to home. Also, just the original, it definitely plays on the fears of the time. And it's almost more topical today because we have problems with Russia still. And that's a big threat. And, you know, there's potential that Russia is interfering in our government right now. I just found it so fascinating that it's like, wow, the same kind of fears sure. that we were dealing with in the original, they apply more today than just being afraid of like this major corporation taking over right that was in the remake at, le at least now with the framework of what we know today that uh we we know that corporations can have you know severe and lasting impacts on our world and our politics and things of that nature but you're right that that idea that sort of old school we all grew up in like uh with those 80s movies and 90s movies were like the the bad Russians are going to come and, you know, sort of red dawn us. It is interesting now to see that we we do still have tension with Russia and how long that that tension has, has lasted. Because you're talking about a movie that came out, you know, over 50 years ago and some of the same fears are still playing out. I think that's a, a great point, man. That's just crazy. It's it's. <laughs> I was watching it and just like, I guess the fears that people kind of had at the time, I was just like, feeling it almost myself and it's just yeah. like wow it's just it's kind of sad that it still has to translate to today like you said over 50 years later yeah i still still a little worried about that russia thing going on in the world with us you know again not to not to dive too deep into things outside of the scope of the movie but um when you think about sort of the way we look at foreign actors right now and people thinking that it's like the social media and memes and stuff like that like you're really talking about that playing back into that paranoia of being sort of if not mind controlled, at least influenced by different, like I said, as goofy as it sounds, memes and news stories and things like that. And like, what are the sources of this information? Is this coming from a, a good place or is this coming from a bad place? It's something that we're contending with today. You're, you're right. Like, I think we're talking about the resonance of that message versus like, yeah, corporation. We There's plenty of movies about bad corporations and bad corporations out there. But I think whether the word xenophobia or whatever you want to call it, our fear of the of another um, government or country influencing us is a little bit more, I don't know, there's more weight to it than just like Walmart's being bad, you know? Yeah, instead of like, they're just going to make more money, these corporations, right. as opposed to this other country's going to take over and the way everything you've known is going to change because they are taking over from within, yes. which is scary. So I'll definitely give it to the original there. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you. I, I think um, kind of what's, what started us, you know, talking about this, this topic really is the fact that like the original is talking about culture to an extent, you know, and and things being different, the fear of the unknown. And um, there's just something there's just more to it than and I know we're, I'm kind of repeating myself here, but I did want to reiterate that there's more to it than just the big, bad 
corporate entity. Like, I, I don't know. I think that's why that message is enduring is what we're kind of getting, getting at. Maybe we could segue from here into how they did the brainwashing. Yeah. So I guess there were two different ways that where our maturing candidates were made by like either a country versus corporation. And they also had different methods in the original and in the remake. We sort of see both in dream sequences. We can get into further details about that. The original is more sort of kind of just brainwashing hypnosis, I believe is sort of what he said. Yeah, you get um, you get more of like a hypnosis brainwashing type of scenario. Um, they made a reference to like the, uh, the Pavlov sort of institution. I don't know if you caught that, but um, there's like this old school like theory or something like that or study about Pavlov's dog where you um, you can make a creature or I guess in this situation a person act a certain way by giving them different sort of uh, punishments or stimulants to like affect behavior. So like they kind of allude to this sort of um, this study that was in popular culture about like Pavlov. So that name would have been recognizable to an audience member, um, I believe at the time as well. But I know I certainly know about the generalities of that study or whatever that is but yeah they're they're brainwashing people kind of old school looking through the watch <laughs> yeah it was brainwashing they didn't really show too much of it they were already brainwashed when we joined the troops and everything they didn't look like they were being tortured or anything they they looked peaceful you know they were uh, very receptive to the brainwashing um they took to it right away from what we could see as opposed to the remake where it looks like these guys are straight up tortured into <laughs> being brainwashed they, they kind of got like a, almost like Cerebro style, like headgear on. And yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> Professor X yeah. is Cerebro. Yeah, definitely. Like people, yeah, it's just like this helmet with like a bunch of wires like going through it. Yeah, it's 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 kind of, it's dark imagery. It's a little confusing. Like they don't show a lot of it. It's, it's like you get these flashes of, like you said, kind of like torture scenes. As goofy as it is, I really like the way the original portrays the brainwashing where you're at like this sort of like old lady, like, sort of country club situation they're talking about like um hydrangeas and stuff like that and like there's some times where you see it and it looks like old ladies and they look different to different people like um the black character in the film sees like black women whereas like the other characters see different types of women's i guess that they associate with but like it's cool that it drops in and out of being the mind control illusion like sometimes they're old ladies sometimes you actually see people that were there and it, it's confusing for the audience as you assume it's confusing for the party being brainwashed it's really cool the way they reveal it in the original it's one continuous shot right so the camera's fixed on the troops when they're at they think they're at this garden party and you think they're there too right if you've never seen this before there's just a, an old lady talking and then the troops are just behind her just kind of relaxed sitting and then the camera starts to just pan right circle around the room and you just see a bunch of old ladies it keeps going right keeps going right and then as soon as you get back to the troops Things have changed. There's not an old lady up there. The background's changed. They're no longer at a garden party. They're more like at like uh, a lecture hall. And it was just one continuous shot. And I just, I rewound it because I was like, whoa, <laughs> there was no cut there. Yeah. They did their shit right here. I don't know. That was, that was a really cool shot. And it just took you like right there. Like, oh, this isn't real. Yeah. This is, this is, they're just seeing this. This is not real at all. I thought it was a really cool shot. From a film perspective, it just translates so well. Cause you're sitting there, and you're like, "All right, this is a little strange. I'm not really sure what I'm looking at here." And then you, you, as you mentioned, the camera's turning. It's like, "Oh, you start to feel there's like an insidious nature to what's going on. It's confusing, and it's like, "All right, okay, what's going on?" It really got me sort of invested. As you said, you rewound, and I'm just 
you know, I got closer to the screen. I wanted to see what was going on there. Yeah, and they they totally just rely on the the way they shot it because there's no like music. Like you said, like you could feel that something was wrong there, but it wasn't because like you heard music telling you that there's something was wrong. It's just like mm-hmm. something weird is happening, and it, I guess they just shot it so beautifully. And then when the reveal comes, that like it's not real. It was just wow. I was really impressed that they were able to do that in the '60s. There's no CGI, right? <laughs> At some point, we'll start to get into like the major differences with the plot points. But I think the way that they show the two uh, characters that don't make it out, you know, um, whatever the true story is, whether it was in the war battle or in this brainwashing session, how calm and relaxed that scene is. And like the idea of like the old women and stuff like that, when you're asking characters like strangle other characters or shoot them, it's, you know, it's an older movie. So some of the effects are a little goofy and people don't look like. They're really being choked. That Garden Club backdrop is so jarring from like this violent act that's happening that you like. I think there's just a greater effect when you see the violence in those scenes because the backdrop is so nonchalant, so mundane to see violence in that setting. But then also realizing that that's not what's really going on either. Like some pretty powerful scene. Yeah, it's crazy juxtaposition. You have this sort of calm garden party happening. Right, which would be fine on any day, but no, people being brainwashed and people being killed, and everybody is so calm. Yeah, it's so weird. It's really surreal. And then you have the remake where it's like you don't get to see a continuous shot. It's a lot of like flashes, mm-hmm. and then it's just like guys being tortured. Guys are bloody. They've been beaten up, and then like when they choke, they're like fighting for their life. They're scared. They're terrified. It's more, I guess, what you would expect. Yeah. And then because you'd expect it, it doesn't leave that much of an impression on you. But because the original does it in such a way that you don't think it would be done, like, that stuck with me, right. the way they did it. I was just like, wow, I didn't expect it to be like this at all. It was just, like you said, this weird, calm yeah. demeanor that was just really unsettling at the same time, as opposed to the remake, where it's a little more frantic, mm-hmm. you know, the lighting's, like, really dark, and you can't exactly see what's happening. You see blood, you hear screaming. It's more like a nightmare, what you'd expect a nightmare to be. Right. And then the, the original was just done in such a different way that sure yeah it really left a great impression on me that's a good point you talk about um the nightmare aspect of it i mean in both films of course the nightmares make sense because they've gone through this traumatic thing that they can't re- quite recall i can i can see um in the remake where you see characters who are really being affected by it and looking like a little out of sorts that scenario was more horrifying so like the nightmares and like People is appearing like they're having like mental health issues, sort of because of the war, as it were. I, f- I forget what it's called, but there's something like a like a Gulf War syndrome or something that they kind of talk about in the remake. Um, people just a form of PTSD, more or less. Yeah, it it makes more sense. Like the nightmares in the original one are a little more cartoonish, but even with it looking more violent, that original, just the way they reveal it, it's just it's a cooler shot. Yeah, it's a much cooler sequence than zappy flashy lights and yeah stuff we've seen before right there was nothing new with those shots in the remake as opposed to the original which i had never seen it just so calm it was cool yeah. really cool man Ooh. so definitely points to the original there maybe we can go on and talk about the trigger for the manchurian candidates yeah i think that's where i wanted to go okay so not only the way the troops were brainwashed was there differences there in both films but the triggering device to get your candidate to do what you want was also different in both films. So you got you got to help me out here a little bit. In the original, it wasn't 
just i mean i know the queen of diamonds plays a big part of it but they would also tell uh shaw to play solitaire and then once he saw the queen of diamonds he would start to act um in whatever way they needed him to so i understood the queen of diamonds that was the big triggering device he saw it um, some girl wore a costume of it or people just show him the queen of diamonds and try to get him to do whatever he wanted but i didn't understand did he need to be told to play solitaire like what was that was that just to see the Queen of Diamonds? I, I couldn't follow that one exactly. Probably the best way to try to describe that, and I don't know if this is accurate, but you know, a lot of times he's re- receiving phone calls from handlers and stuff like that, and they're not necessarily in the room with him. So it could be just a way, of course, given the timeline as well, people's access to screens are non-existent, people's access to like different methods of showing him were probably not there. So they had this like built-in trigger where it's like, hey, grab a deck of cards, play solitaire. I think it's just a way to get to that point when people aren't around. Okay, so it's sort of like a two-step process in the original. Yeah. They, in case they don't have access to him directly to show him the Queen of Diamonds. I, just, I was just a little confused on that. That's what I assumed it was, but they just never, I guess, explicitly explain no, they, they definitely don't. And maybe the novel gets into it more. But um, yeah, that was my interpretation of it, at least. You know, again, earlier I kind of mentioned the Pavlov thing. That kind of fits into that sort of theory about mind control where you have a trigger, in this case, the Queen of Diamonds, that sort of brings back the wanted behavior. And that's generally the idea of that type of brainwashing. Yeah, so we have that in the original. And then the remake, no more Queen of Diamonds. Now it's just you have to say their name in a certain way and then that triggers it yeah I, I felt i felt that was personally a little weak i get that you can't have the ridiculous over-the-top trigger in the... can't be playing solitaire yeah. <laughs> go to a computer play some solitaire <laughs> but you know i think um i think it would have served them better to have some sort of symbol you know yeah some some type of visual device that sort of set them off i thought would have been nice too yeah because as as an audience um you know, I see it, okay, someone's talking to him, and then the, the lighting starts to get very, like, intense. You get, like, a white light behind the character, which is showing us that they're starting to be influenced. But which is a cool effect. I thought that was good. It's like they're, they're awake all of a sudden. Yeah, very cool effect. Just, um, I don't know, like, just saying somebody's name. It's like, maybe, like you said, maybe it's the way they're saying it, but to me it just felt like, all right, you just said the person's full name or, like, their rank or something like that, and then they're, they're active. I just felt like there could have been more of an impetus there because like i'm not really sure what the triggering method is i guess it's the name but like it doesn't feel as uh, pronounced i think it's yeah it's saying their name in a series of ways this is like is this reggie yes is this reggie parker or something is this reggie parker right. sergeant like you say it like three different ways and then then it's triggered that's how i interpreted it but i'm like kind of with you it's just like as cheesy as it might seem to have to see a queen of cards, I kind of like that. Yeah. yeah. I thought that was really cool. <laughs> so I was a little upset to, that, that we didn't have any queen of diamonds. Yeah, I mean, like um, some sort of like symbolism, like someone could come in and, and again, it's goofy, but it's like, oh, look at this like black widow or something <laughs> like that. And then like all of a sudden you're 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 back. Um, but I, I will say that their explanation of why the mind control would have gone into effect so quickly, because in both scenarios, I think it was like, a three-day period where the troops were, like, missing. Mm-hmm. I'd be really surprised how they actually brainwashed, like, the 1960s characters that quickly. I'm sure there were some elements there. But um, the remake has these implants, neural implants. Yeah, I wanted to get to that. Super experimental. No one else has them. Even, like, uh, 
the Marco character, Denzel's character in the new film has like a kind of like an associate that knows about all kinds of crazy dark tech. And even he's like, this stuff's not supposed to be real. And uh, here, here they are with these like neural implants. So the neural implant, which was implanted in their backs. Yes. Yes. Okay. But also in um, Lee Schreiber's head, too. Was there one in his head? Well, I don't know if it was a neural implant, but they inserted something into his life. Yeah, there was that one scene where he kind of had a checkup with them and then something was injected into his brain. That I understood. The one in their backs, Denzel had one in his back. Shriver had one that Denzel bit out. He definitely didn't bite out the one in the head. Yeah. I was a little confused as to those. Are those part of the neural implant or? I, I guess so. I guess. Like, every time I see an implant that's not directly in the head, I think it's, like, a tracking device. So I just thought that was a tracking device. I wasn't sure. Yeah, that's fair. I would say that I actually wish the film had spent a little bit more time explaining the process, yes. That's the great thing about the original, that you have this doctor. You got Dr. Yen Lo, who's explaining it. He's maybe a little over-explaining it, because it is sort of this, it's kind of a complex concept what's going on but you know he he explains exactly what's happening and like how it's affecting them and why they had to do it like this and what he'll remember and what he won't yeah you don't really get an explanation so much in the remake i guess they're just gonna assume you kind of know that it's mind control right what else do you need to know right yeah i feel like the original movie um throughout the film there's like different times where they uh because of the way the dream and nightmare sequences work i think there's different times where you sort of revisit the brainwashing process and you sort of revisit that um, that whole thing and it, again, over the top for sure, but appreciate it because I at least understand the brainwashing mechanic. Whereas this new film, and maybe because the the brainwashing scenes are kind of like intense, um, maybe they don't revisit it nearly as much. But I, I really don't know how they did it. And you know, just saying that you have an implant, I don't know because both of them have implants, so. And, you know, we do come to realize, um, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about this in more detail, that both of them are being influenced here. Right. It just, I just don't know how it works. I still don't know how it works. Yeah. Like I said, I wasn't even sure that that implant in the back had any effect. Because, like you said, they didn't explain it. Just because they have an implant yeah. doesn't mean that's what's doing the brainwashing. Like, for me, like I said, I think it's always just a location thing but um now that you mentioned it i'm more confused now because i'm getting ahead of my, ourselves too but like shriver had the implant in his head right. when he checked in with those guys denzel didn't at least not that we know you know not that we know so are we just to assume that that happened when we off screen or something i don't know that's the thing okay yeah that that's that's the thing i was just thinking about yeah All right. we could talk about that uh more later sure. I, I think so personally i think a good place to go from here is to talk about the actors. This is going to lead us into talking about some key differences in the way the characters are structured in both films because there's a lot of similarities, but the Shaw in the original film versus the Shaw in the remake, they have two completely different functions and the way everything's structured is different. So I guess we should start to kind of get into the actors. So Shaw in the original portrayed by Lawrence Harvey... And in the remake by Liev Schreiber. All right, so I guess we'll start with how Shaw was portrayed in the original. He's a war hero. Did they say exactly how he saved his troops? They show it in the remake. They definitely don't show it in the original. No, they don't show it. They they do uh, explain it, basically that... I mean, not thoroughly, but they do explain that he takes out a platoon of 
of enemy troops and, um, you know, basically single-handedly gets his, his boys out of there. But, you know, they don't really get into too deep of the details. Whereas, like, Lee Schreiber gets his own cool action sequence where he's, he's like, yeah. <laughs> shooting all the bad guys. It, it's a little ridiculous, but uh, I had fun with it. Yeah, it's a fun little sequence. So back to the original. Shaw, he's his war hero. He gets the Medal of Honor. And we're quickly introduced to his mother, who in the original have a very bad relationship. <laughs> Not the uh, loving mother-son relationship you might expect from a war hero. And he also has a stepfather who has political aspirations. But Shaw himself does not in the original. As opposed to the remake, where Shaw, he comes back the war hero. Like we said, he gets the cool action sequence, gets to be a hero of the day. And uh, when he, we see him with his mother... This is years after, and they're both in politics. Right. In the original, Shaw and his mother, Eleanor, neither one of them were in politics. It was just the stepfather. In the remake, both Shaw and his mother are in politics. I believe the mother's a senator. I'm not exactly sure what Shaw's political... I think he's a con- he's a congressman. He's just a congressman? All right. And there's no stepfather. It's just the two of them. Right. And they love each other. The, the mother-son thing, they're, he loves his mother, she loves him. They have some tension, but there, it's not like, there's no hating relationship here. It's not like the original, no. Yeah, the structure is different. I think that when you talk about sort of uh, the grand scheme of sort of the politics and what the uh, the mother character's aspirations are, it makes more sense to structure things the way you're seeing in, um, in the remake. You know, they're both in politics. One's a senator, one's in Congress. It makes sense how close they're trying to get to the, the White House. The original film, adding uh, James Gregory, who plays Senator uh, John Islin, who's Shaw's stepfather, is a bit of a goofy character. Um, the mother's definitely in control of the situation. But it's, it's a lot of steps to take to the presidency to say, I'm the wife of the senator whose stepson is, um, you know, this war hero. And the senator's going to get in and, and like there's a, a little bit more removed from i think their their end game if you ask me so i don't i don't mind the remake sort of consolidating that and taking that sort of it's not an unnecessary element in the first film but uh for the politics of it i think it's a little bit it gets muddy i think it's reflective of the times having a strong female senator i don't think you would really have that in the 1950s wherever uh, the original takes place. Um, so it makes sense that in the remake that you would have the mother not just be the wife of a political figure, but be the political figure herself and sort of grooming her son to be president. I'll give it to that, that it makes a little more sense. But I feel like maybe in the remake, she should have been the one running for president. I know it's 2004 and we didn't, the idea of like a woman president that maybe then was just a little... Uh, foreign, especially yeah, if it yeah. takes place in the 90s. I don't know. I feel like they could have went there. He's just a congressman, and he was pretty young, too. I don't know how old he's supposed to be in the movie, but right. he didn't look that old. Yeah, I think which was uh, sort of part of... Um, there's an element of the movie where no one's expecting him to be in the running. Like He's quite the long-shot vice president candidate. Like He wasn't even really being considered. And then they have this backdoor meeting where uh, Meryl Streep is like, Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, we're going to use my son or I'm going to basically tank this entire ticket. And, you know, it, it works. It makes sense um, to an extent. To your point with uh, people's acceptance of women in politics and things like that. I wonder just how the Angela Lansbury version of the mother played to audiences at that time, because she's a uh, she's pretty evil. <laughs> um, 
and pretty powerful. And I wonder if audiences were used to seeing women taking that space in film or you know medium. Uh, I, I don't know that answer, but I think maybe that's something cool to like look into. Especially since uh, she's the sort of the puppet master in uh, both films. But uh, going back to the remake, I thought it was a little odd because, like you said, they were putting a lot of pressure on uh, Liev Schreiber's character to be the vice president. Like, there was a lot of weight on the vice presidency, like I had never seen in a film before. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's so important. Who's going to be the vice president? It was almost like more important than who was going to be president. It was, it was a little silly to me uh, just seeing that because I don't think there's a lot of weight into who your vice president is. Maybe a little bit. You might want to win that state, but I feel like there was too much yeah. <laughs> too much importance on the uh, vice presidency and the remake i agree but i understood though because that's that's where you have to make him we need to make him the vice president so he can be president so i guess it works what I, i'll give the film i don't know if it's necessarily a positive for uh for a movie but what i'll give the film is uh they do get into like the minutia of like polling and like oh but like john Boyd's character is uh we can pick up iowa but um leave schreiber's character He'll play well amongst the young... Like, they get into, like, this one overly explained and also very unimportant minutia of, like, how the polling looks um, in this fictional scenario, which, um, as a political geek, I, I'm a fan of, but as a movie girl, I'm like, this, you're right, this is a silly scene. Who cares? <laughs> who's the vice president? And, like there's, like, there's almost no real mention of who's a president or, like, who's running for president. That person is, like, a, yeah. a background character, which is... Absolutely fucking insane. So just to clarify, in the remake, we have Liev Schreiber trying to be the vice president so he could eventually be president. Right. In the original, it was trying to get that Island guy as the vice president. Yeah, so I think Island is already on the ticket because when we get to sort of our big reveal at the end, I believe he's a vice president candidate at that point or at least nominee. And, you know, I probably have to go back and look at this a little bit closer, but it's either the guy who's going to be president died or this is an opportunity to give this guy who's kind of like the second fiddle a chance to give this rousing, spectacular speech and basically sweep his way into the presidency through, like, the most insane circumstances that anyone's ever become president. Again, it is over the top, but I actually like the elegance of that, like that they had this plan and they've got this speech and, like, this whole thing is, like, orchestrated in a way that um again it's a goofier movie based on the timing but uh it's a little bit more coherent what the plan is which uh you'd be surprised i'm surprised that that's the case but um their plan to me makes more sense in the context of how someone could become like the president and like what it would mean to have like a candidate assassinated and then the other guy swoop in and give this like thing that the moment needed like the speech like i thought that that was actually really cool over the top. That's for the original? Yeah, in the original, sorry. So, yeah, in the original, basically, Angela Lansbury's plan is that, like, once the, the nominee gets shot, um, Johnny Island's going to go in there, and we've been working on this speech for eight years, and um, there's a spe specific moment where the guy's supposed to get shot. And once that happens, he goes up and he gives his rousing speech. Everybody gets behind him. And then they're basically going to make martial law look like um, democracy or whatever the line was. Again, as a kind of a political nerd, I actually like that that was sort of their plan, that they had this like crazy speechwriters put something together and like they had a moment that they were planning out. I thought that was really cool. And then in the remake, he was just going to be there once the president got shot and there was no speech, I guess. I don't think, yeah, they didn't, they didn't have a speech plan. It just like, 
the guy was already president, right. kind of, but he wasn't sworn in. So then he was just going to be the president because he was the vice president on the ticket. Like, they were just, we killed that guy, now you're the president. Like, that's, right. you know, a little less elegant, in my opinion. I don't know, like, how does that play out? Yeah. You know, because, like, from a very real political standpoint, I don't think that's actually that positive. You know, there's going to be a lot of people that are, like, going to try to undermine your presidency because you weren't the person voted in. You know, like, when you kill a guy right at the beginning of his presidency, I don't think that that goes nearly as smooth as they're trying to make it sound like it would. Yeah, it was a little confusing to me uh, what they were doing in the remake. But maybe we should just keep going on about um, the differences in the Shaw characters. The one thing I like is that in the original, Shaw kind of comes across as this really cold guy. Yeah, yeah. And then... All of a sudden, one night, he's getting drunk with Marco, and he tells him about this woman that he fell in love with. And then after that, I didn't like the Shaw character in the original, but then after he told me the story about this girl, then I kind of was a little more sympathetic to him, and I liked him. And uh, in the remake, Leif Shriver doesn't really have that moment, that turnaround. He doesn't really come across as cold. He comes across as, like, let me be a little cold, but he doesn't really come across as, like, as cold as he did in in the original. And he doesn't have a moment of sort of just like weakness where he shows you his emotions. I never really get that uh, in the remake. So I think I like the Shaw in the original sure. more just because his character has more to do. And then it's a, it's, it's a nice journey he takes from this person that I don't really like. And then he turned it around, made himself more sympathetic as opposed to Lee Shriver, who's kind of just the same until maybe the yeah. very end. But it, it just was, it was a little too late for me to kind of turn around on his character and feel too bad for him or anything right i think you're right um in both movies so in the original um all the guys are kind of like at like a brothel in korea and then shaw comes in and like basically ruins the party and you know we we get this exposition that like nobody likes him and you know at that point because of like the way the movies films like yeah you're right we don't like him like who's this boring lame dude (laughs) in the remake after the longest card game sequence that i've seen outside of a (laughs) A movie of like rounders dude it's crazy it cuts like three different times it's like did it have to cut <laughs> i didn't understand I got did, it. Did we playing need to... cards. yeah that that was interesting how that movie opened i didn't understand why okay it cut once i was like okay it cut again <laughs> why yeah. why are they still playing cards i get it i'm playing another like i'm like how long are they playing cards here's another song for the soundtrack <laughs> yeah exactly exactly you know when shaw comes in into that film I get that they don't like him because he's awkward, but he's not like a hard ass. Yeah. He's just like, no, this guy needs a friend. That's like one of their lines. <laughs> it's just like, okay, cool. And like you also mentioned, there is no real turn for Lee Schreiber. Even in his romantic relationship, she's just kind of there. We'll get into that. I, I have issues with that in the remake. Yeah, I, yeah, you're right. We'll get into that. But like the circumstances of his relationship are far less, as you mentioned, of a journey as where like we finally get this human moment for the Shaw in the original film when he talks about this girl that his mother drove away and he says it like the character says like I'm not lovable but in this moment like I me like I'm making jokes I'm having fun and like he realizes like okay this guy who's more or less misunderstood given the chance he can have real human interactions it's tragic what's happening to him now because in a moment where he finally realized himself and there's some humanity to him, it's very tragic because he's being controlled by others and he's not allowed to enjoy the one moment in his life where he could be a real person. 
it's a much more compelling story arc, and I think that it serves that shawl very well in the original. Yeah, it, it not only serves him, but it serves Eleanor, his mother, too. It shows you just how manipulative and, like, controlling she is over his life and just, like, everything he does. Right. You can't even date this girl. He says, I'm not even sure if I wrote the letter to her or if I just signed it. Yeah. It's, it's crazy, like, the amount of control that his mother had. And you understand, like, why he hates his mother. Which is another reason why you, you were kind of cold to his character. Because he just hated his mother so much. He never really understood why. Right. Like, she didn't seem that bad from, like, everything we had seen. But then as soon as he tells that story right. about Josie, and then it's like, oh, everything starts to make sense. That's why he hates her. That's when you start to get sympathy for him. That's when you distance yourself from the mother, too. Yeah, some great character That's development for Shaw and Eleanor in uh, the original. You're, you're absolutely right. It, a great turn. Shaw is now an empathetic character. The mother, like, just how far she's willing to go, like, to the point where she will completely ruin your relationship if it's going to affect her political aspirations. It's a fascinating moment in, in that film. Yeah, you don't get that moment in the remake. You do get that scene, like you said before, where you see Meryl Streep very early on kind of, like, owning the room and telling everybody, no, this is what's going to happen, and if it doesn't happen, I will ruin you all. So you do sure. see that she has that she's imposing but then it's kind of like that for the rest of the movie. Nothing really interesting happens after yeah. that. Like You know that she's like she's very powerful and she can be threatening, but her character doesn't really have anywhere to go after that, yeah. as in the original, Angela Lansbury's did. Even that scene, I mean, like, it's not inherently evil. No. It's, it's calculating, for sure, but, like, she's making a political calculation. She's like, okay, you guys think that this ticket's going to win you the presidency, but, like, she's kind of throwing out facts and figures, and, like, I don't see why you wouldn't listen to her. Like, maybe she's overly pressing her advantage, but, like, it wasn't bad in the context of politics. It was like, a oh, man, she's being mean, but so, so what? <laughs> yeah, it's not as bad as, like, controlling your son's life, like, every aspect of it. <laughs> right, that's pretty bad. <laughs> um, you want to go on to another character? Yeah, I guess we should, uh, we should talk about the Marcos. Yes, let's talk about the Marcos. So we have Major Bennett Marco in the original, played by Frank Sinatra, and in the remake, played by Denzel Washington. Ben Marco, that's a hard character to, to lock down, I, I would He's say. He's kind of the same, I yeah. guess, in both movies, right? He's sort of the character you follow. Yeah, absolutely. He's sort of the good guy, because you're assuming that Shaw's under the the mind control that he doesn't he's not there so you're kind of rooting for ben to kind of fix everything sure i'll say this earlier in the movie sinatra's ben marco is believed and it makes their experiences very different ben marco from the original version has the support of like i guess the fbi or the government and they more or less believe him throughout most of the film so it, it's more of him trying to figure out what's going on with shaw directly Whereas uh, the Denzel character, nobody believes him for a significant portion of the film. Or nobody that we know of until, like, the end. Sure. A lot of the mystery stems more around kind of himself. You know, well, like, Shaw, of course, is part of it. But, like, he's got neural implants. He's trying to figure out what's going on with his own brain or, you know, experience kind of before he dives into a deeper dive into that Shaw character. So it makes the, the two characters' experiences very different that um, one kind of like, all right, yeah, sure, sounds right. You're having these bad nightmares? Oh, okay, let's figure out what's going on with the bad guys. And then the other one's like, you're crazy. You got, like, <laughs> in your brains, dude. <laughs> Denzel has a more sort of, like, claustrophobic, like, try to figure out what's going on experience. 
Yeah, very paranoid. Yeah, whereas Sinatra, who historically is not the greatest actor, but uh, <laughs> he does fine enough in this movie. He, he just he's a little bit more confident throughout the film, although he does have his own confusions about what happened to him in Korea. Yeah, he's more maybe frustrated, I guess, more than anything. He sort of feels maybe like powerless at sometimes. It's like he doesn't know what to do or how to get through anything. But like Denzel, he's just like stressed out like all the time. He's got this paranoia about him. He just yeah. doesn't know what to do, what's happening with him. He's just he's got a lot of things going on mentally <laughs> that uh, the original right. doesn't have with that character, which I guess makes sense. You know, Denzel can obviously do that with his acting and right yeah you can't see sinatra doing that you know old blue eyes is just gonna bring out the charm <laughs> not gonna get too uh paranoid there exactly like he, he'll walk in the room and he'll make an assertive statement and uh he might punch a guy or two. <laughs> oh my god wait a minute the fight scene yeah <laughs> <laughs> i just had a manchurian candidate moment jesus christ Okay, well, to, in all fairness, this is uh, way before Bruce Lee, right, ever <laughs> touched the cinematic screen. So, yeah, our yeah. fight choreography, which is sort of martial arts-based in the original, comes across very comical <laughs> to today's audiences. It is one of the funniest, longest fight scenes I've seen in a long time. I mean, like, they're, they're like, rolling around, people are throwing chops. and They did their own stunts. They did their own stunts? Yeah, pretty sure Frank Sinatra injured himself, and he was—he didn't have enough time to let it heal. So after filming the movie, he always had that injury in his hand or something. Yeah, he committed. Not worth it. <laughs> no. Actually, it is worth it because we're talking about it. Yeah, it's fairly comical. I think I got the biggest kick when uh, every time like there was a break in the fight, like Sinatra would do a fight stance, and his stance was just—it was the weirdest. Yeah. It wasn't even that. It wasn't even just like both hands in like karate chop form. It's, it was like one hand was like oh, yeah. I don't know, like stabbing. It was just—I can't really describe it. It looked like he could be beat up very easily. Like he had no idea yeah. what kung fu was. Like maybe he just heard about it over the radio and like and they put your arms up and your fists are open so that's how you do kung fu kids i bet for like audiences at the time though that must have been like the shit because like most people probably fought kind of like your old school fisticuff ways yeah yeah, the boxing yeah Yeah. but then like you see a guy who's like all right his hands are doing something weird here you must know why isn't he making a fist what's going on (laughs) oh man that, that was a weird sequence Denzel doesn't really have um, a fight scene from what I remember. No, I was really disappointed. I, that was one of the things I'm like, okay, the remake's going to make this fight scene a lot better, right? 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 Nope. No fight scene. He's just going to grab and bite leave Shriver. <laughs> this is cool. Sure. Why not? So, advantage Frank Sinatra for kicking ass and <laughs> minus 20 points for Denzel Washington for biting a guy because that's very unfair. <laughs> yeah, for pulling a Mike Tyson over there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I really don't have too much to say about the Ben Marco characters other than, like, they're the ones that are, you know, that we're seeing the story through, um, more or less. The Sinatra one, it's weird. Like, it's, this is give and take between the two characters. We're like, um, there's a lot of things that Frank Sinatra either can't do or doesn't do in the movie. But, like, he does have, like, a powerful scene where he um, has this moment where he could kind of try to deprogram Shaw. And then he chooses to kind of let Shaw live his, his own humanity. He gives him, like, a weekend. And in that moment, like, the murder of Shaw's love interest happens. And he feels responsible. Whereas, like, Denzel doesn't really get a moment like that in the film. But I guess he gets to round it out by, I, I don't know, like that sort of paranoid acting thing. He gets to bring a lot of the tension to the movie, I guess. But I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. And then 
I think in the original, the relationship between Shaw and Marco is, is drawn out more. They they do more with it in the original. They have more moments together. Like we told, Shaw's telling him the story about the woman that he used to love. Or like you said, when uh, he's trying to deprogram him. They just have more moments together. They seem like they have a tighter bond, a closer friendship. And then in the remake, you don't really get too many of those moments. Like... Liev Schreiber's kind of avoiding Denzel a lot. He's just, or just saying, hey, what's up, buddy? I, I gotta go. I got things to do. There's no back and forth between them as much in the remake. Yeah. That bond it just isn't there like it was in the original. I agree. I think you, you do feel, because of some of those scenes, you do feel more of a bond of the two characters there. There are more moments where those two interact and talk and bond. And then when, I, when Denzel and Liev are in the room together... It always seems like a means to an end, you know? It's like, oh, there's something happening in our brains and stuff like that. But there's never, like, a moment where it's like, hey, buddy, how's it going? I haven't seen you in 10 years. You know, it's just, it's flat. Yeah, there's definitely more heart to Marco Bennett in the original. Like, he just visits Shaw on that, was it either Christmas or New Year's Eve? And the two of them, just, they're just hanging out. There's, yeah, like you said, there's no, there's no motive other than just, I want to be here just to see my friend, my old buddy. I don't need to get any information around, but, you know, let, let, I'll just be here for him. There's not really any moments like that in the remake. Yeah, I really don't feel like Denzel and Leo Schreiber are friends at any point in the movie. Yeah. Whereas I, I do feel, especially towards the end, Sinatra's Bennett and the original Shaw, they, they connect. Like, they care about each other by the end, you know. So, again, in the big reveal towards the end where, like, Sinatra's trying to run up and, and find Shaw... He wants to find Shaw. You know, there, there's, again, this human interaction. He cares about his friend that you're not getting from this remake. I guess it makes more sense in the original when Marco does help Shaw because they have that tight bond. And then at the end of the remake where he's just like, help me, I need help. It's like, but you don't really have that close of a bond. I wasn't buying it as much as I did in the original. I think part of the, what's causing that is the way the Shaw character is designed in the new film, um, with him being a member of Congress, there's like security and there's things that are keeping them away from each other. You know, like there's literal literal things keeping them away from each other. So they're not given any time to interact in a non-formal setting. And I yeah. think that could be what's leading us as the audience, in this case, to uh, to not feel their connection. Yeah, that's true. The only time they did talk, uh, Denzel bites the thing out of yeah. him, and then he's not allowed to see him anymore. Yeah. So, <laughs> I also think um, maybe they could have had them, besides playing cards, maybe they could have had a way for the, the people at the beginning to show that they liked each other, um, other than like slapping tables and playing cards. I know there's not a lot to the brothel scene at the beginning of the original film, but I don't know. Those guys, to me, look like they like each other more, because maybe the setting, but... <laughs> <laughs> And in the remake, there's just there's more time, there's more interactions. When Denzel kind of finds out about his nightmares, the the actor I forget his name, but I know he's in Westworld. I think James Watson, Jeffrey Wright. Okay, yeah, he looks out of it. You know, like he strung the fuck out. He's not doing well with his mind control chips or whatever the fucks in in him. And um, because he's so strung out, I don't get the connection with with him either. Whereas in the original. Uh, it's a guy who writes the sorry or the major a letter, and he's like, "Hey, major, I'm I'm struggling with this." He just doesn't seem crazy. There's a connection. These people seem to like each other and to confide in each other, as opposed to like you're in a high school auditorium talking to a bunch of Boy Scouts about your time in the war. I can't believe I'm saying this out loud, by the way. <laughs> 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 it, it did happen no you, you're right i saw it too reggie <laughs> and then like some guy you haven't seen in like 10 years or whatever shows up and is like Do you have dreams <laughs> <And it's> like, <laughs> it's like, 
all right, man. <laughs> I don't buy. Like, I, I, I think the remake does not do well with connecting the, the troops. I will. <laughs> that's pretty funny. I will say this about the remake, though. It, it kind of kills off the troops, right? Yes. They all kind of died, quote unquote, natural causes. Uh, I guess kind of worked for me. I don't know. Because uh, you have the, the troops in the original who you never really hear from, except for the, uh, the Al Mel- Melvin character who writes the note. I guess I didn't understand why everybody needed to be brainwashed. Was it just so he can get the Medal of Honor? Was that it? And then like after he got the Medal of Honor, they were just kind of going their merry way. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, the remake, killing people off does make more sense. <laughs> you don't have to worry about it. Yeah. Oh, they killed themselves. Uh, they're all, it's all good. No, you need uh, you need that line. Jim Shaw is the most lovable, kindest person that I, <laughs> I've ever known. Like You just need like 10 guys saying that. <laughs> I guess I just like that the remake addressed what happened to the troops as opposed to the original where you only hear about one of them and you don't know what happened to the rest of them. Tying up loose ends. I, I like that. <laughs> That's all. You're right. And even um, the Melvin character, it's like he's struggling with it and then we just never even check back in with him. Yeah, yeah. He just writes the note and once he writes a letter, it's like he's probably just tormented, having yeah. those nightmares over and over again. <laughs> you know? It's like Sinatra goes on to talk to Jim Shaw, but like he's like, hey, what about that other guy that actually reached out to me for help? And he's like, eh. <laughs> yeah Plot yeah al melvin as crazy as he was in the remake i guess he had more of a pivotal role because you also learned he had one of those implants in him too sure sort of verifies denzel's story a little bit more yeah so it also muddies the, the story in um and i guess a compelling way the way they filmed it where it's like denzel is now being accused of this crime of like murdering him when he does show up missing or or it shows up dead and it kind of ties back into some of the tension of like, oh my God, is like Denzel going to get like arrested or stopped before he can like solve this plot? Like, you know, it helps elements of the remake that weren't in the original, but it also, I don't know, there's a give and take, I think is what we're getting at. Yeah, it was, it was a little like, I guess unnecessary, like what were you doing in his place, right? It goes back to that nobody believed him, so it just plays into the paranoia of the, the Marco character yeah, more in the remake, which was, I guess, exciting. It didn't really do much for me. I was just like, well, let's just move on. Let's go on to the... I know he's not going to get arrested. He's not going to stop. So let's just go on. I know. Come on. Let's keep going. Yeah, I agree. And also, given the turn that uh, we find out about the FBI, which I'm sure we'll get into, but... uh, We can do that. We can get into that right now. Okay, let's get into it. So we have to talk about the other character, uh, Rosie, in the original, portrayed by... Oh, Janet Lee, who we've, of course, talked about in the Psycho movie, and then Kimberly Ellis in the remake. Very different character in both movies. In the original, she's more of just uh, Marco's girlfriend, really. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much I, it, you know? That's pretty um, much it. I She doesn't really do much. Yeah. She's kind of a forgettable character, uh, honestly. I didn't really think she brought anything to the original. Maybe there's like a moment or two where she like kind of sort of pushes him to check in on his friend or something like that. But like, there's not really much to it like yeah i guess it helps uh marco's character develop a little bit because she talks to him a lot and he tells a lot about himself but her as a character to help move the plot forward i don't really think she does anything not 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 anything of substance um you know i have not much to say about her as a character because i don't think the film had much to say about her as a character but she definitely had more of a role in the remake. Yes. Because not only is she going out with Marco, but we learned she's an undercover FBI agent and has been watching him the whole time. Then it's a little convoluted um, for the FBI to place one of their agents uh, as a grocery store um, cashier 
and then put her on a train with um, uh, Denzel Washington to then have an apartment in New York. <laughs> <laughs> That's her cousin's. To then, uh, over time, eventually showing you that, turns out I am an FBI agent. You know, Reggie, when you put it like that. <laughs> I hate to put things in the, into the way they're presented. Yeah. <laughs> but, but saying it out loud. It's I like, forgot about all those random connections. Oh, yes, I work at a grocery store. And then I'm on a train. I'm going to tell you I worked at a grocery store. And then I'm going to see you again. Yeah, it was. We could have just met her on a train. It didn't matter. <laughs> It's like, hey, what's your story? And it's like, oh, you know, I'm going to, like, meet a friend. It's like, all right, blah, blah, blah. Well, if you ever need anything, and, like, maybe on a whim he goes and, like, meets his woman. But, like, the, the whole, it's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. It work. I mean, by the end, it works itself out. But, like, it, it works itself out. But there was a lot of extra steps that I guess didn't need to be taken in the beginning. I guess that that's what I'm saying. But, um, <laughs> okay, but whatever. You know, Denzel meets, uh... Whose name isn't Rosie either, which is another really fucking confusing (laughs) (laughs) part of this. Hold on. Let me look up the character name. Eugenie? Eugenie? Yeah. In in the remake, her last name is just uh, Eugenie Rose. Okay. They introduce her as as Rosie, but um, her name is Eugenie Rose, but she goes by Rosie. Again, I think there's a lot with that character. Maybe there's like some deleted scenes. Maybe there's just there was more to their relationship or romance, as it were. Just a lot of elements that are in there that don't need to be there. Like her name could just be Rosie. Like it doesn't. <laughs> it didn't need the backstory that it was Eugenie, and but it's actually friends call me Rosie. Yeah, a lot of unnecessary steps <laughs> for this character. Besides those gripes, it is interesting that she's an FBI agent um, because. One, she, the FBI clearly has been following him, which is a big reveal. And then two, she actually believes him, which is another good mm-hmm. reveal here. I don't know, like Rosie in this film, by the end, she's a major character. Like she's pretty damn important to uh, some of the action in the film and, you know, its resolution. So major upgrade for the character, um, a little bit more exposition than I think the character needed. It almost feels like they're making up for how little we care about Rosie in the original film. Uh, you, you've pretty much said it all. So, uh, yeah, I'll definitely give points to the Rosie in the remake because, like we said before, I just I don't think she really does anything in the original. But, yes, very integral to Denzel and helping him at the very end of the remake. Yeah. Do we want to talk about the Josie? Yes, let's talk about this. And this maybe could be the final character we kind of go into depth with. So Josie is the love interest of Shaw. She had a past relationship with him before he left for war. And then that relationship is rekindled because his mother wanted it to happen. So they reconnect and we get a lot more of Josie in the original. I'll just say that for now. I don't know where you want to start with it. Yeah. um, In the original, I love the way that um, the Shaw character describes their romance. Summer romance. Yep. Summer romance, the way they meet. You actually get um, a decent amount of scenes of them interacting in the past. And you see Jim Shaw prior to being brainwashed and the way that he's interacting with this woman, who's also the daughter in both films, the daughter of a political rival, I guess. But, you know, opponent, uh, he opposes a lot of uh, what Eleanor is all about. Yeah, definitely a political rival of uh, Eleanor. But Jim has a more cordial relationship with him. I think it's important to note that in the original film, uh, Josie's dad, Thomas Jordan, is a direct political opponent of Thomas Island, which is why uh, Senator Island basically accuses him of being a communist. And that sort of in the mother, of course, or driving factor in why their relationship doesn't work out. 
The other one, I don't know. You, you know why it didn't work out? <laughs> I don't know. Um, let's just, before we get too deep. So we have Josie in the original. She's played by Leslie Parrish. And in the remake, she's played by Vera Farmiga, who, after we did the Psycho episode, I watched the whole Psycho series, and she plays uh, Norma Bates, and she's great in that. I love her. But she has nothing to do in this movie. <laughs> Not a damn thing. Absolutely nothing. I don't even know if he talks about how much he loves her. I think that Eleanor sort of mentions that they had a summer fling, and then she's going to be at this party, so be sure to say hi to her. I don't know if he even cares about her as much as he does in the original. In the original, you get that great story about the summer, but him, Josie, and her father, just the three of them, like him being a human being, him learning to love, him falling in love, and then getting taken away from his mother. And then in the remake, you don't get any of that. Yeah. She gets no backstory. She gets no introduction. And when he meets her after the war, like, you don't even see the first time that they recognize each other or see each other again. Like, it's off screen. Like, when you see them again, they're already, like, in mid-conversation. They already reconnected. We never get to see them reconnect. Yeah, it's just kind of, it's kind of flat. I mean, the only, like, nice thing he has to really say to her is that, like, hey, I haven't really been dating any other people. So, like, that must mean something. It's like, does it? Um, so it's it's much more obviously impactful in the first film because Josie, which is a big part of the movie, is wearing a um, Queen of Diamonds outfit at a costume party that has sort of politicians in it. And it sort of sets off Shaw's brainwashing. You know, he, he gets triggered. They go on, they elope, and they have this like sort of incredible whirlwind like weekend where they get married. And, you know, he's telling Marco about the love of his life. And that gives Marco in the original film a chance to say, look, man, I want to deprogram you, but I see that you're finding happiness in life. I'm going to give you some time to figure this out. And before he can do anything about it, his mother, because um, Jim's not going to endorse Tom Island, he's going to endorse Senator Jordan. His mother puts together this nefarious plot to kill, um, kill the senator. And... He does murder uh, Senator Jordan, but then Josie comes a- across it in the original, and he shoots her too. So it's a, it's a pretty pretty impactful scene based on what we had seen previously, which is how good movies work. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they establish this loving relationship between these two characters. You're rooting for them. You're happy for them. They got married. And then, because of this brainwashing thing, he kills her. Right. And he's there's he's powerless to do anything to stop it. Right. And your heart just breaks for him. It breaks for her. And it's just it was shocking to me. You know. I mean, yeah. you know, I guess I should have seen it coming. Um, but like when he shoots her, I was just like, oh my god, he shot her. I mean, it was rough. I'm with you. Where it's like, you know, that that's the cool thing about film. It's like you suspend disbelief a little bit. And like I'm sitting there, I'm like, oh yeah, this is uh this is interesting. And then like next thing you know. Like, obviously, it's all foreshadowed, but it's like, oh, damn, I can't believe he did that. Um, and, and I think where the Manchurian candidate in the original works very well is by cutting Shaw as a tragic figure, by making him sort of more of like this innocent bystander and everything. Like, yes, he's in his political family. He doesn't really want to be. He kind of wants to get away from his mother. He doesn't want any part of this world. And he's being pulled in, quite literally, pulled into this insane plot, you know, that, like, his mother made a blood deal in and you know, gave up her only son, who uh, really just wants to live his own life, but never gets a chance to. It's meaningful. Yeah, because 
you put this rift between the mother and the son in the original like she's been controlling him his whole life and now she's controlling him in a way that you know he can't even he doesn't even have a say with this mind control so he's even more controlled than ever and one thing he has to do is kill the love of his life so that just puts like so much weight in what happens during right. that scene it's, it's just so meaningful and you don't get that so much in the remake. Right. You don't get the, the fully grown-out love story between Shaw and Josie. You know, there's no rift between mother and son. He's doing, like, maybe he's not doing exactly what he wants to right. do. But he doesn't seem to be, like, really bothered that. Like, oh, I'm going into right. politics because, you know, my mom wants me to. It's, it's, he's not, it's not eating away at him. That's like, oh, man, I wish it was a painter or something. So it's not as impactful when he kills Josie in the remake. Because, A, you barely see her. <laughs> so there's, it was, you didn't invest much in that character. You didn't invest much in their relationship because you never saw them together. And overall, I was just disappointed to see that because that relationship between Shaw and Josie was one of my favorite parts of the original. Yeah. And I was just really sad to see that it got the short end of the stick. They didn't add anything to it. They actually took away from it in the remake. And I was really disappointed that they did that. Like you mentioned, uh, Vera is an incredible actress and like, there's this whole set piece where it's like, all right, they're at this, um, they're at a party, they're, you know, they're meeting each other for the first time. And honestly, this is really one of the first times we're having an extended scene with Lee Shriver. And like, you get into it, and it just, it's so flat. Like, there's nothing there. Yeah. And it's like, all right, do these two like each other? You know? <laughs> um, Have they met before? Do they know who they are? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So when, um, when John Voigt's out there on his kayak, it just, um, it's almost like you shouldn't have wasted your budget trying to drown John Voight. <laughs> you might as well have shot him like in the other movie because <laughs> who cares if he like murders John Voight and um, and Vera if he murders you know Senator Jordan and the daughter in the water with his bare hands? Like it is jarring and it shows how well his um, mind control works. But we really don't care about either character, so uh, waste of time. It's like drown faster, I guess. Because let's move on. <laughs> Because when the original developed the relationship between Shaw and Josie, it also developed the Jordan character more because he was also there. Yes. By not going into that relationship in the remake, you get no more development of Jordan. So you don't really care <laughs> as much as you did in the original. In the original film, and uh, we didn't talk about it too much, but they basically like kind of like reenact the McCarthy hearings. Like people are being accused of being communists. Um, Senator Island says that he has a list of known communists in the uh, the government, and uh, that kind of messes up Jordan's career. And we do get to see him, uh, Shaw, interact with Jordan. And like you said, we're building out those characters at the same time. It's actually a pretty damn good plot device to, you know, build that exposition for three very important characters at the same time. Mm -hmm. And you're not getting that at all in the remake. Nope. You know, more or less, uh, I think we pretty much are getting to the point that the original handles Jim Shaw's love, you know, his romance in a much more meaningful way. And it makes the rest of the movie better. It elevates the rest of the movie because when he kills the love of his life, you feel like he's killing the love of his life, not just some random girl who stumbled upon um, a murder. Exactly. I just, I don't understand why they cut out so much of that from the original. It didn't make sense to me. I felt like that was such a crux of the Shaw character and to get rid of that connection in that love story to underplay it. it it really weakens the ending because in the remake he does go to marco for help because of what happened to josie it's supposed to be the thing that kind of breaks the hypnosis right like you had said in the original we sort of break the hypnosis because marco shows the queen of diamonds to 
Shaw, and that now he controls him to kind of get Shaw to do uh, to stop pretty much being the Manchurian candidate. And the remake doesn't really have a moment like that. I guess we're supposed to believe that he's so traumatized by what he did to Josie, or what he believes he did, that he's able to break it? Is that what happened? How does he break the hypnosis in the remake? I didn't ever really... I mean, that's kind of part of it. And then they they both have, like, a sit-down, and they sort of talk about what's going on some more. Well, let me, I guess let's backtrack. In the remake, you know, we get past the point where Jeffrey Wright's character gets murdered, and they're accusing Marco Bennett. And then I guess everyone realizes that uh, Jeffrey Wright's character had an implant in him. So now the FBI believes Marco Bennett in the remake. There's uh, no real scene like that in the original because, you know, very early on in the movie, the FBI already believes um, Frank Sinatra. So then right before this nomination or whatever, they sit down and they talk like the FBI lets him and uh, Lee Schreiber talk in private for some reason. Yeah, in secret, like, none of Liev Shriver's, like, secret service people, like, know or anything like that. Because I guess his whole inner circle is kind of in on it, I think? Possibly. <laughs> so they talk in private, but then they both get activated? Denzel gets activated. I don't know about Liev. But Liev hands him the phone, so you gotta, you gotta imagine that, like, the mother was talking to him prior to him handing the phone to Denzel. That's one of my issues with the remake. I... I'm confused about the ending, so we're there. Let, let's really get into this ending. So the original, you have Shaw, who's our Manchurian candidate, right? Queen of Diamonds, he's supposed to do whatever you say or whatever they pre- programmed him to do. And the original, he's a sniper. He's gonna, he's at that convention. Um, he's going to shoot the guy who's uh, one step above his stepfather. And then after he shoots him, like you said, stepfather's going to do that speech, that rousing speech. And then he's going to eventually be the president somehow, right? Right. But in the remake twist ending it's not shaw who's going to be the assassin to elevate um anybody to politics because he's the politician he can't be shooting and also doing the speech too so now we have denzel who is our hero but now he's not going to be the hero because now he's the assassin in the original shaw isn't under the hypnosis anymore though so he shoots his stepfather and his mother and ultimately turns the gun on himself which is really shocking to me and in the remake, Denzel doesn't shoot Shriver because he was supposed to hit a mark on the ground, but he didn't hit the mark. And instead, he dances with his mother, signals to Denzel to shoot. Denzel shoots. Right. Did I miss anything? I, I think you kind of got it. I mean, maybe there was some other element that we were supposed to pick up on. But like what you've described is what I saw with my own eyes. If there's more to it, they should have done a better job of explaining So I like the original. <laughs> I'm just coming out and saying it. You're not sure if Shaw's still under the the influence of his mother and whatever her programming was, if, she, if he's still going to do it. Because at this point, Marco thought he had freed Shaw, but then he lost him and he couldn't find him. So you're not sure what's going to happen. Is he going to do it? He's going to. I thought I, I thought I freed him, but no. I guess he's going to go through forward with this and assassinate the right person so his stepfather can be uh, president. But he doesn't. He he was never in the programming. He tells Marco at the end. He says, "I had to do it. I had to stop them. Nobody else will." And then he shoots himself, and which was so shocking to for a movie to do that. <laughs> like especially one made in the '60s. What are your thoughts about the original ending? Yeah, that original ending. Is- it's better because you're right. He loses them, which causes um, a lot of tension because, you know, right now we don't know what's going on. You know, as um, as this convention is happening, we're trying to figure out where he is. Mm-hmm. 
his explanation makes sense by the end, where Shaw says that, you know, I didn't want to tell you, I didn't want anyone to either take over control again or try to stop me from enacting my plan. Like, he had to do it. It's a very, very powerful moment. The, the tension is so much better because they foreshadowed a part of a speech. Yes. So, like, you, you know, you're listening out to a speech real time and you're like, OK, damn, that's the line. What's going to happen? So, like, all the tension is built in and you know more or less when it's going to happen, but you don't know what's going to happen. He kills Iceland. He kills his own mother. And by the time Frank Sinatra gets upstairs to try to stop him or whatever Sinatra's going to do, he turns a gun on himself. Great, great ending. Yeah, it's a little bit cheesy, but I like the end where uh, Sinatra's reading out of the book or something like that. And I don't know if he's like sort of making it up or if it's something that's in the book. He talks about the Medal of Honor recipients. I guess it's a book about that, and he's telling the story of Jim Shaw. It's a short sequence, but he's telling the story of right. a brave person that was taken control of, who uh, who fought his controllers and for you know his country. It, beautiful, beautiful sequence. Great ending. It was a great ending. It kept me guessing. You know, it was a movie made in the 60s, so I thought, like, okay, maybe he's going to shoot the uh, the intended target, or, you know, it'd be kind of crazy if he actually turned the gun on his mom, and then that happened. I was like, oh my god, he actually did that, but I did not see him actually shooting himself, blowing out his own brains right in front of Sinatra. That, just like, wow. <laughs> For a movie to do that, that was made back then. Bravo. And I think um, kind of getting back to why I think the original works so well is that if you're following the arc, you know, of course, Major Bennett is uh, the main sort of the main character. But if you're following the arc, it is the tragic story of Jim Shaw. That's what the Manchurian candidate. Yes. This guy who born into a political family whose mother really put politics and power above her own son to the very extreme point where she literally turns him into a killer with no control, stops her, his only chance of finding true love and happiness in his life. And then at the end, you know, he breaks free of that control and takes out the people that were controlling him and also tragically frees himself. And the only way he would ever be free in that situation would be for him to no longer be alive. It's, it's a, I mean, it's a beautiful, tragic story. He's not only free from his mother at that point, but he, he needs to be free of the deeds that she made him do, right? What he did to Josie, I don't think he could ever live with. I don't think he kills himself because of, I'm going to go to jail because I killed my mother and stepfather. I think it's honestly like with Josie, you know, I think that's the main factor that makes him pull that trigger on himself because he did it and he can't live with that. And he already took care of what needed to be done. Now that they're gone, it's okay. I can just go now too. I think that's a, f a fair assessment there. And uh, really, the other fascinating part of the movie and uh, Sinatra's character, I think why adding that extra little sequence at the end is great because there's someone left to tell his story. Yeah. Because there's this secret conspiracy that's been going yes. on and nobody knows who's causing this, why it's happening. And honestly, in most history books, you're never going to hear the story of Jim Shaw in that universe, of course. There's a person left that knows what happened and who can spread that story or at least you know, let it live on in some aspect. And it's great. I fucking love it. I think it's a nice way to stop a movie. Fantastic ending. And then we have the ending of the remake. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll give the movie this. Denzel Washington being mind-controlled, given everything that we saw in the movie, and I think the original um, never really answers this question. Yeah, it makes sense that he's also brainwashed and under the influence. Like, we never really addressed Frank Sinatra, controlled well in the original they show that shaw is the reason that those other two troops are dead he killed them both he shot one he strangled one mm -hmm. in the remake shaw kills one but 
Marco kills the other. So they're both sort of trained as murderers in the uh, the dream sequences. So I guess it's a little more foreshadowing in the remake that there's the potential for this Marco to be a killer. Yeah. Also in the brainwash. Yeah. So that element of it makes sense that um in the moment where we're starting to get a reveal and they're trying they're starting to unravel the plot that the one of the biggest reveals happens to a character that unfortunately is being um, influenced by it. So you see that Denzel is starting to uncover the plot. And then he, when he realizes that he's part of the plot, the audience realizes it. And it, it does flip the element of how the movie ends because he's the one that's going to pull the trigger, uh, Major Bennett. Um, so there's some intrigue. There's how that ends. There's some intrigue. I appreciate them trying to do something different. But it actually, when I thought about it, left me more confused than if they had just done what they did in the original film. Okay, so if your plan was to make Denzel ultimately the killer the whole time, I'm, I'm guessing, then why would you train uh, Shaw also to be the killer? Why would you risk your political you know, future? Uh, why would you make them a killer yeah. too? It just seemed so risky to me. Why wasn't Denzel the one doing all the killing all along, right? A, he's not in your family, you know? You don't want uh, someone in your family to be this political assassin. And B, he's he's not the person you're trying to make president. It didn't make sense to me once it all came together. It's like, well, if Denzel was the brainwashed one, he should have just been doing all the killings. And then just, you didn't even really need to train Shaw on the remake to be a killer because he could have just been the political guy and then maybe you brainwash him so uh, when he says his name he does some stupid political thing to help a corporation or something yeah it just didn't make as much sense that you would have these two killers I think it only makes sense if you're expecting it because you've seen the original and it's like oh there's a twist that's why they did that I think it's just a twist for twist's sake I don't think it's makes as much sense to me yeah, I agree. And um, when you really think about it, I think the fatal flaw happens far before that scene. The fatal flaw is making Lee Shriver straw a political candidate. Yeah. He's, he's too close to it. He's too close to it. Why would you ever have your nominee for, like, vice president be the one to go, like, kill John Boyd? Like, given the context of 2001, 2004, or, you know, whatever real timeline this is, but, like, Given the context of you could get a guy to like go to like black water helicopter in into like Afghanistan or like kill someone. There's no reason to take an important asset and put it that close to a, a murder. It just doesn't it makes zero sense. So you're right. Why why isn't why isn't Denzel Washington want to do it? And honestly, why even brainwash a guy when you could very truly get like some other special ops dude to just do it? Like it, it, it you don't have to go through the effort of brainwashing other parties i mean maybe brainwash the, the quote-unquote manchurian candidate so he'll do what you say but like there's no reason to like brainwash other people to kill people it's stupid yeah again it's just just was weak from what i saw I, it it didn't impact me as much as like when shaw was the one pulling all those triggers at the end like i said it just felt like a twist for twist's sake because they had to do something different it didn't wasn't like oh that was so clever that they did that i didn't feel that way when i saw that it just raised more questions than it should have <laughs> Absolutely. And then having him have to, like, shoot him on, like, a mark as opposed to, like, again, there's another great scene of Angela Lansbury reading the speech and saying the words and talking yeah. directly. I, I think that's another thing, too, that uh, that's missed here. Uh, Angela Lansbury talking directly to the Shaw character. It, I cannot say how important I think that is in the movie for both characters, whereas, like, Lee Schreiber just picks up phones. 
<laughs> the the evil isn't close enough. You know, it's just not. And I'm just going back a little bit. We sort of touched on this before. Okay, so in the original, obviously Shaw doesn't shoot who's supposed to because Marco broke the hypnosis or whatever, right? He had the Queen of Diamonds and he said, you're not this killer anymore. You're not going to do it. You don't work for them. And we think it's not broken, but ultimately it was broken, right? Now, there was no breaking down or uh, destroying of the hypnosis over um, Shaw in the remake. Like I said, I think it's just supposed to be, I killed Josie, so now I'm not under the influence of it anymore. Yeah, you're right. Like Yeah, that was weak. And, and like we said, Denzel was supposed to shoot the president uh, as soon as Shriver hit that mark, right? But he never broke the hypnosis either. So he doesn't shoot his intended target. And Shriver doesn't do what he was supposed to do. So both of these men are no longer under the influence. But we never really get a good reason why. Especially Denzel's character, too. Because he's about to shoot as soon as he's on the mark. But he doesn't hit the mark. So he just shoots Shaw instead. I was so confused as to why he shot Shaw. If he was still under the influence. Yeah. Like, is it because they pulled, you know, the implants out? Is it because they had this grand realization like what you're right what is the reason why the spell's not working on him again i i think frank sinatra is an over-the-top actor is a loose way of saying it <laughs> all the wires pulled that busted up uh you know <laughs> it's done like i i appreciate that more than just like being confused and it's like, if it was the implant, wasn't there a moment where uh, Ethel, the mother, like, Shaw didn't have a shirt on and she was, like, feeling where the implant should have been? Wouldn't she notice that there's, like, a huge chunk of skin missing and that the implant's not there anymore? And is it really the implant in the shoulder? What about the implant in the head? It's like, I feel like there's more technology used to make sure that the brainwashing doesn't fail in the remake, but it fails easier than it did in the original. And just to make things even muddier, like you got uh, the Manchuria Corporation, you got a bunch of rich dude CEO looking people like sitting around seeing the news that like the FBI scrubbed the other, like scrubbed Denzel and then put in some other guy that we never heard of. Yeah, they like photoshopped the security camera footage so it doesn't look, so you don't see Denzel. It's not only his mother stopped, but like now we're going to take down Manchurian Global, like everybody's going down in the remake. But I like the original because it was like, no, the people who yeah. did this, they're still out there. They're still in China and Russia. They're, we didn't stop them. We stopped somebody who like paid for this, but we're not, we're not stopping the big picture. That's still going to happen. And I kind of like that the original kind of mm-hmm. doesn't. We didn't get everybody in one shot, I guess is what I'm saying. I like that. I agree. It's, it's more dystopian and it's more disturbing. Yeah. It's like, okay, this is one element of this, but like, you're right. The question is never it's not done. No, not at all. <laughs> and you would have to imagine that, like, maybe there's other plots. I think that's why it works as a political thriller, because there's this idea that this could happen more, or maybe it is happening more. It's more impactful. Yeah, and I just feel like the remake just tied up everything, like, too much. Like, okay, Denzel was going to kill himself like Shaw did in the original, but, like, no, he doesn't. So now he gets to live, he gets to be a hero, and we get to take down the Manchuria Corporation. We got everything. We got everything you wanted in the remake's ending, right? It, it's just it's too much it's it's too neat of a package i feel right in, in such a short amount of time yeah you're literally watching like the manchuria like all of them are just sitting in a room like watching <laughs> and then you hear the squad cars in the background oh boy i guess it's over boys the <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> like no these guys 
Yeah, these guys are billionaires, right? <laughs> they, they'll figure something out. I mean, come on. Yeah, of course, they're going to hire some, like, high-class lawyers or, like, you know, like, kidnap the judge's son. or Like, you know. <laughs> oh, that's it? Sure, I guess so. And then um, at the end, Denzel goes back to Iraq, and he's throwing pictures in water and shit like that. Rosie shot him. It, it's just a jumbled kind of mess, dude. Like, I, it's It's such a Hollywood ending, you know? It really is. And and I think um, they just Hollywood Hollywooded the hell out of this like actually kind of interesting political thriller. Yeah. Oh boy, I think uh, I know where <laughs> I think I know where we're going. Are we going there now? Uh, is there any other topics you wanted to cover? I mean, like I think I think we did a pretty good job of um, talking about a lot of the overarching themes. Like we talked yeah. we talked about McCarthyism. Um, we talked about the tragic Jim Shaw character, how they did the brainwashing character differences in the ending i mean that's uh yeah that's those are the main ones right a neat package man um <laughs> like the hollywood remake hey. ending. yay <laughs> all right so let's get let's do the judgment reggie should they have remade manchurian candidate not like this um i i actually think that i would be interested in them doing something like this again in the context of like our current political landscape, and I guess anyone watching a film like this may feel the same way. Maybe at the time in 2004, I would have felt different, but honestly, it wasn't really tied that much into the problems of the day then. So um, it just seems like they had this Hollywood script. They sort of wanted to play into people's political fears, but they also didn't want to get too close to the, the heat. You know, they, they kind of pulled back. They pulled back so much that it lost any real meaning. So uh, I don't think this remake had to happen. Yeah, so when I was watching the original, I was trying to think, what could the remake do? What does the remake need to do in order to justify it being made? And I really couldn't think of anything. I, I knew the acting would be better. Obviously, the original is in black and white, and they'll shoot the remake in color. But I was trying to really think, what could they do to justify this? And I couldn't think of anything, and I definitely didn't see anything in the remake. So for me, it's it's also a no. They did not have to remake The Manchurian Candidate. Not this way. I'm kind of in the same camp as you. I think they can do an interesting remake. I'm actually in the boat of thinking, since the original didn't totally wipe out that whole Manchurian Candidate experiment area, I almost feel like a sequel would make a lot more sense, that they could really go other places. I feel like the remake was sort of bogged down by having to hit the same beats of the original and that's why some things just felt like dragged out like why was she also the grocery store girl and on the train because they had to do that because the original did that i feel like this is such an interesting concept I, I feel like there's definitely areas to go that haven't been covered with it and just making pretty much a beat by beat remake and then maybe having a little twist ending that's not going to cut it that's not enough we needed more you can easily make a better movie or just to have a different take, a fresh take. You can easily make a fresh take on this. And I don't think the remake got even close. It's such an interesting subject matter. It has to, you have to bring something to it. You can't just do it the same. And this is why that's what they did. They pretty much just did it the same and made it, made me care about the characters less. That's an amazing feat. Um, so definitely, again, no, they did not have to remake this. Not like this. I would say um, it's interesting you say like a sequel because Again, I guess not to get too existential with this, to an extent, a lot of our politics in this country recently have been about, you know, the Mueller report and all that stuff. Like, is there a Manchurian candidate in office right now? Like, that's been something that we've asked as a country for the past two years, you know? Um, 
so obviously people care about that subject matter. Um, there's a way to maybe tie in like the original bad actors are still there and they're still, you know, I, I think you're right. Like a sequel could be pretty interesting. I feel bad that um, Denzel, whose performance isn't, it's a very decent, you know, even good performance. It's just the, the way everything's presented in this remake. It, unfortunately, no matter how good his performance is, it's a pointless story as presented. And it, yeah, kind of going back to what you said, it is crazy how the original is more relevant today with its subject matter and the whole Russia and as opposed to the remake, which, you know, a lot closer to where we are now, but it's not as relevant. It's it's crazy and a little bit sad that we're still like the Russians, the Russians. They didn't need to remake this. Not that way. I think um, at the end of the day, um, you know, global, national or whatever you call them, companies, it doesn't hit us the same way as like that culture of war that has persisted throughout our film and media since this time. I mean, like you had the Manchurian candidate, you had Rocky four, you had <laughs> red dawn. Like, this is the subject matter that we, uh, we care about um, as a, as a collective, maybe stick with that as opposed to, you know, weird global dying companies or whatever the hell <laughs> I forget. I, Oh yeah. I guess Manchuria global, but like it could have been anything. It didn't matter. Uh, but I'll stick by it. I would love to see a sequel. You could totally make it relevant to what's happening to the American Russia today. Tie it to the original film. Boom. Easy. I don't think Hollywood's going to get anywhere near it for at least a while because of how recently this was. Whew. Okay, interesting. I And I was a little worried. I didn't think, you know, before we got started, because I, I thought you might recommend it or say it was good, because do you know the Rot- Rotten Tomato score of the remake? Um, No. 80%. 80%. That is so high. I guess it's not a bad film. It's just very uninteresting, in my opinion. Keep in mind, we're doing a comparison here, so it's, you know... That, that could be part of it. Yeah, but it's like, maybe it stands on its own. Maybe if I had not seen the original, I would enjoy it. But when we're doing a comparison like this, it's definitely obvious which one's better and which one should not have been made. And I totally can see where where you could come from, where you'd be concerned that um, I liked it because, you know, I don't want to absolve the original of... Uh, it has many flaws because of the times, really, I think. But there's enough good there, and I would say mostly good, that it's just it's a better movie. It's a classic for a reason. I think there's some really, really interesting and fun elements that happen in the movie, and it makes you think in a way that this new film personally didn't make me think. I'm glad we watched the original, and I guess it's okay we watched the remake, but I would probably never watch that movie again. All right, I guess before we sign off, let's figure out what we're going to do for the next episode. How's about a nice adventure film? Okay. How's about Clash of the Titans? Clash of the Titans. Okay. Yeah, I agree, Dan. I kind of want to stay away from jokey films. I I think another drama too soon from now would probably be a little crushing for me. Yeah, that's actually a nice, dumb, fun thing to do. (laughs) Yeah, I'm down. Let's watch Clash of the Titans. Let's watch some Clash of the Titans. Sweet. All right, well, thanks to everybody for listening. Uh, I'm Dan Bulick. You could uh, find me on Twitter, at Console Wars Guys, or you could check out my YouTube series, youtube.com slash Console Wars. And I'm Reggie Parker. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram, at RP Comedy, or you can check me out at rpcomedy.com. Yeah, be sure to let us know what you guys thought. Did you agree with us? Did you disagree? Did we miss some stuff? You know, give us some feedback. Let us know. That about does it. Thank you for listening to another episode of Retro vs. Remake.